is off about half a percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open up flat. Uh, Brent crude oil trading at $29.95 a barrel following that big fall in New York overnight. Uh, gold is firmer, though. It's at uh, $1,752 an ounce. And the US dollar itself more or less unchanged at the moment. It's trading at 107.1 against the Japanese yen. Back chats coming up after the news at 8.30 with Hugh Chiverson and Rachel Cartland. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with more Money Talk. And the weather forecast today uh, is going to be fine. Maximum temperature is going to be about 25 degrees. Mainly fine in the next couple of days. But the forecasters say it will become humid with fog over the weekend to early next week and rather warm during the day. The temperature right now out at the observatory is 21 degrees and it's 70% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.31, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. A disease expert says now is a good time to relax some of the anti-epidemic measures in Hong Kong with coronavirus cases at a low level. Hong Kong reported just three new infections yesterday. Professor Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong says it'll be, it'll be difficult to get the number of cases to zero and the public must be prepared for a cycle of recurring outbreaks. It's a good time to relax a few of the measures and then keep an eye on the situation and see how it goes. What I can imagine might happen is that we gradually relax some of the measures and ourselves, we relax our preventive behaviours and then there'll be an introduction of infection into the community somehow, maybe an outbreak, and then the measures will be tightened a little bit and we may go on like that for weeks and even months. President Trump has announced he's instructing his administration to halt funding to the World Health Organization over its handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Mr. Trump accused the WHO of mismanaging and covering up the spread of the virus. He said the UN body had promoted what he called China's disinformation, leading to a wider outbreak of the virus than would otherwise have occurred. Today I'm instructing my administration to halt Funding of the World Health Organization while a review is conducted to assess the World Health Organization's role in severely mismanaging and covering up the spread of the coronavirus. American taxpayers provide between $400 million and $500 million per year to the WHO. In contrast, China contributes roughly $40 million a year and even less. As the organization's leading sponsor, the United States has a duty to insist on full accountability. President Trump says he won't put pressure on any U.S. state to end its coronavirus shutdown. The president has caused controversy, controversy when he said he, and not the state governors, had the ultimate authority to end shutdowns. Meanwhile, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, has outlined a broad framework for reopening the state's economy. Here's the BBC's Sophie Long. Governor Newsom made it clear he was talking about modifications to and a loosening rather than a lifting of the current stay-at-home order. Likening any potential changes to the turning of a dimmer switch, he warned California's 40 million residents that the new normal would be anything but normal and that physical distancing would continue. He declined to give a timeline for any changes, but was hopeful that if in two weeks' time the number of cases and hospital admissions had declined, he may be in a position to give one. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today is Rachel Cartland. Rachel, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. We're tackling education issues, filibustering and the question of interference today. First of all, should the DSE exams continue to take place? They're due to start in uh, on April the 24th. And also, should private schools consider freezing or cutting their school fees next year? What about final exams at universities? And then after nine, in the second part of the programme, we're going to be talking about recent criticism by the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office regarding pan-democratic lawmakers filibustering in LegCo. The office issued a statement accusing opposition lawmakers of abusing their powers. Uh, they said the lawmakers might have breached their oath of office and be guilty of misconduct in public office. Are these accusations well-grounded? Do they amount to interference in Hong Kong affairs? Uh, let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bank Chat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can give us a call, of course, and our number is 233-88266. We look forward to hearing from you, 233-88266. Uh, just before we get to the, the uh, education section, uh, a variety of emails as ever on, on different uh, topics. Uh, first of all, Mike, who's a regular on the programme, who was on the programme yesterday, uh, responding to some other uh, comments and criticism by uh, uh, listeners, says with the subject line, 50 Cent Army Keyboard Warriors, one of your contributors, I'll use the term loosely, suggested that as a Republican Trump supporter, I shouldn't be allowed to speak on RTHK. With the attitude of stifling debate, one might mistakenly think the individual was a liberal or Democrat, as this has become their MO in the past few years. But wait, this person goes out of his way to make fun of a great majority of Chinese with poor English skills. Shame on you if you are liberal. If you truly are uneducated, I can suggest many online instant grammar programs that correct your compositions. Hugh seems to enjoy your form of degrading racial bigotry, so he continues to read your childish humour. If you are not ashamed liberal at this point, you might be one of the 50-cent army CCP trolls that discredit President Trump and or people that agree with his tough China policy every chance you can get. If so, Hugh might investigate so as not to support state-sponsored dribble. That comes uh, from Mike. I'm not going uh, to respond to any of those <laughs> points uh, uh, in, in particular, uh, except uh, 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 as far as I know, the uh, person in, in question is, is uh, Chinese uh, themselves. Uh, Mr. Tang says, well, actually, Mr. Tang is, is um, more immediately relevant, so maybe we'll just we'll keep that a little bit. Um, he's, he's a teacher. He's talking about education issues. Uh, Paisley, meantime, says, um, uh, one of your medical experts on yesterday's show rejected the idea that an unmasked individual can catch the virus while hiking or running outdoors, citing fresh air and wind as key protective factors. With all due respect, as someone who regularly hikes, I do not agree with his assessment. When hikers pass you, particularly if they're running on an uphill climb, they are invariably breathing hard. Given the narrowness of some of the trails and hence close proximity of participants, there will inevitably be high risk of particles being spread, especially when the air is still. That's uh, Paisley's take. Uh, and James says, Morning, I, I heard this on uh, Radio National Australia yesterday. Uh, it seems an interesting angle. Uh, the, that is, uh, what... If I get injured working from home, does workers' compensation or labour laws apply? Uh, do uh, James says, do usual workers' uh, labour law provisions apply if I get injured working from home? I don't recall this issue having been discussed uh, in Hong Kong. And there's a link to the story on the uh, ABC. Interesting uh, angle that, James. I'm not, not sure about that. We'll see if we can look into that. And uh, Maxine says, dear Backchat, I heard someone suggest legislators take a pay cut. Um, that is a good start. These legislators keep playing politics. Instead of coming together, 
together to deal with the current crisis and have failed to get anything done for too long. So I suggest we keep cutting legislators' pay an additional 10% for each month they fail to resolve this issue and fail to get any work done. So the first month we cut an additional 10%, cut 20% for the next month, and when the legislators realise their pay has gone to zero, maybe they will finally do something. That comes from Maxine. Thank you very much indeed for that. OK, well, starting off on the education issues, I think we have Mervyn Jung on the, the line, who is one of our um, very regular contributors on this subject and quite an expert. So with the DSE exam, Diploma of Secondary Education, crucial for everybody's future who takes it, the passport to university or not. Is it going to go ahead on the 24th of April? Oh, what's the latest on that, Mr Jung? Hi, morning, Rachel. Morning, Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, um, well, in my opinion, uh, of course, the the actual holding of the DSE examination this year, uh, understandably, amidst the troubles engendered by the COVID-19, well, must be based on scientific evidence and the advice from medical experts. And then over the past three days, uh, new infected cases have dropped to single-digit numbers. Uh, it's uh, three for yesterday. So a medical basis for commencing the DSC examination on the 24th of this month seems to be surfacing. And now consider um, the situation of the, of, the, of the candidates. Now for the uh, secondary six students, uh, I think it's something like uh, the sooner the better situation in relation to the commencement of the DSC examination. Um, now, apart from the importance of this um, internationally accredited evaluation of the candidates' academic attainments to the further studies and occupational search, when early conduct of the DSE examination will probably put an end to the anxiety and stresses the candidates have been soldiering following the close of schools for conventional classes since mid-January. And another factor that that uh, enters into uh, and, uh, enters into the play here is that uh, there should be sufficient fa- uh, safeguard for a safe and proper environment for doing the DSE examination, and this is uh, to be provided by schools which are engaged to, to serve as ex- as examination venues. Now, schools offering candidates for a DSE examination are reported to have been supplied with sufficient antiviral materials. For instance, each DSE candidate has been given 10 facial masks for use during the sitting for the exam. And uh, it, it has also been reported that there are appropriate physical arrangements for the examination furniture to ensure that candidates are in safe distance from one another. The class is yet to be, consu- uh, to be reopened there are sufficient manpower and classrooms for ministering the different examination sessions in accordance with the antiviral infection precautionary requirements. So, uh, of course, we still have a few more days to judge the development of the, of the COVID-19 situation in Hong Kong. And based on the present uh, evidence, um, as the um, Secretary for, for Education has, has remarked it, um, recently, there's a very high chance of commencing the examination uh, by the schedule of 
the 24th of this month. I've seen suggestions that not going ahead with the examination would actually disadvantage candidates from uh, less privileged backgrounds because if you don't go ahead with the, with the examination, the most likely alternative is to look at continuous assessment from school and so on. And that the children who are richer, better schools, this sort of thing, better resource schools, um, are likely to do better under that sort of situation. Do you have any view on that? Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with uh, what, what you've just uh, said. Because um, now, first of all, in Hong Kong, uh, for an average school, we don't have the, uh, the sort of continuous assessment uh, as uh, in, in the international schools. So um, if you, we try to estimate the, uh, the candidate's performance based on their, uh, the, the kind of uh, uh, day-to-day um, per, uh, performance in schools, that would not be a, a very perfect yardstick in, in, in an average school, grammar school in Hong Kong. And uh, as you just you know, pointed out rightly, uh, students in an average aid school in Hong Kong, uh, especially those from grassroots families, do not have uh, uh, you know, good enough resources to make uh, a very good portfolio uh, with all, all clear, indi- clear and sufficient indications on their achievements in schools and also outside the school. So uh, unlike uh, those who are in the, in the, uh, in the upper echelon of, of uh, you know, uh, uh, society, so uh, by comparison, uh, they will probably be disadvantaged if there is no DSE this year and if the grades can only be estimated from their you know, everyday performance in schools. All the same, the, the students themselves, uh, quite understandably, I think, when we look back at our own school days, they're adamant that the DSE should not go ahead on the 24th of April. And despite the fact that they're not sitting in schools, they seem to be quite well organised. There's a big grouping of them. Do you have any sense of whether they will actually take any action or was striking or so on to oppose DSE on 24th of April? I have no idea how big uh, the number of this group of uh, uh, resistant uh, uh, candidates uh, is. Yet, uh, I well, I think um, the majority of the of the Form Six students would prefer to have the examination um, started as soon as possible, because all along. Since the close of the school for their classes, they have been soldering, they have been uh, enduring all the stresses and all the um, all the uh, the kind of uh, unhappy expectations of what what they will become in the event of uh, you know, the long holding of the DSE examination, and no matter how how uh, you know how precise um, the estimation is going to be done in, in the event of a long, in a long holding of a DSE examination. It won't be, it won't be um, a perfect substitute for uh, great estimation as far as uh, its comparison of, of, of the actual holding of a DSE examination is, con- uh, is concerned. So I think it would be 
uh, and should in fact be in in the interest of students if they attempt the DSE examination this year instead of looking to other ways, which uh, now we we already uh, enter uh, enter the month of uh, April, and uh, which is not far away from a lot of uh, selection processes, especially those in relation to university admissions um, uh, in summer. Yeah, what, what people, uh, students actually think of it is, is uh, yeah, a matter for debate, I guess. Uh, here's a, the email from Mr Tang, who, uh, who is himself a teacher. Uh, Mr Tang says, uh, DSE 2020 should go on as long as safety of candidates and exam personnel can be guaranteed. Indeed, a survey by Youth New World showed 72% of 812 candidates polled said the DSE exam should not be cancelled. Understandably, S6 graduates who have invested so much effort and time in preparation for the DSE relish the opportunity to put their academic abilities to the test. Hong Kong DSE remains the only territory-wide assessment in town to objectively, fairly and holistically measure candidates' academic capabilities under standardised exam conditions, regardless of students' socio-economic background and their school's banding. The postponement of DSE has to some extent upended schools' planning and preparation, but a cancellation of the exam would add to their negative emotions. It will deal a devastating blow to industrious students who have just gone through the delay of DSE, only to find that their efforts will go down the drain. Proponents of cancellation of DSE 2020 may argue that alternative grading methods, such as assigning all candidates assessed grades based on an array of objective statistical criteria, including their performance in within-school assessments, SBA, the performance of past school cohorts in public exams or value-addedness of schools can still differentiate candidates' abilities and ensure fairness in university admission. Yet behind the statistics are thousands of young lives who pin their hopes of university programme admission on public exam results achieved by themselves. They may not want to seize control of their own fate. Public exam results should not be the be-all and end-all in terms of learning. Yet what many Hong Kong DSC 2020 candidates want now is a chance at a fair competition. That comes from Mr Tang, echoing, I think, many of the points that you were making there, there Mervyn. I think that that survey that was referred to is... is uh, I think Mr Tang is correct in saying that um, 72% of those, of those candidates um, said the exam should be cancelled, but 63% uh, prefer the exam to be pushed back uh, beyond uh, April the 24th. So they're really talking about postponing it uh, for a little bit longer. Is that feasible? Would that be an alternative? Would that be a kind of compromise, Mr Chan? Uh, I, I think um, if circumstances, including you know, medical considerations, do permit, um, the DSA examination this year should be held the sooner the better. Because we can't, we can't uh, exactly tell, tell the future. Uh, the future. If the uh, it is uh, opportunity to do it, do it uh, in the near future, why not? Because who can guarantee that the situation will, will you know, remarkably improve in, in May, June, and July? So, uh, well, all, I think all we need to do at this stage is to look very closely at the uh, in, in, uh, the infective uh, statistics and uh, you know over the next few days before coming to. Uh, to, to a decision as to whether or not uh, the examination will go ahead as scheduled. Okay. The other education issue we wanted to talk about was, was uh, private schools. Uh, Ruth Benny joins us now, an education consultant, founder of uh, Top Schools. Ms. Benny, good morning to you. 
Good morning. Um, the, you know, the issue with the, with the private schools, uh, international schools in, in, in Hong Kong, uh, is, about the, uh, is about the fees. Uh, many of them, I think most have uh, committed, including the ESF, have committed to freezing fees next year, but there seems to be a growing number that are actually calling for a reduction now. The, uh, the story in the South China Morning Post about uh, Nord Anglia School uh, saying that uh, they want a 30% cut, parents saying they want a 30% in cut in, in tuition fees. Uh, what do you make of this? Um, can the schools afford it? Will they go ahead with it? What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> Will they go ahead with it? I very much doubt it, to be honest. Mm. Um, yeah, it's interesting. We've actually seen from, actually from the end of last year, where schools started to announce their proposed increases, as they always do, um, as early as November, and then more, um, they, they, those announcements sped up in the beginning part of this year. So with all of the um, announcements of um, applications to the EDB to actually increase their fees came a lot of discontent, obviously. So we've seen almost all of the schools either reverse, uh, withdraw those proposals or, or not submit them at all. And there are still a few schools that are holding out um, that haven't actually communicated with parents yet um, about a fee freeze. But as you say, the vast, vast majority of schools have announced a fee freeze. And um, yep, ESF were, were the, first, um, the first to announce that um, a few weeks ago. I mean, there are, of course, you can't please everyone. The parents are still not happy. So in the case of um, yeah, ESF, parents also logged um, a petition to call for a reduction in fees, as did Nord Anglia, directly to the, the school. And I think that's in response to what we've seen in the UK and particularly in, in some other countries. If you take a group of schools, um, such as Nord Anglia, they operate schools in, in over 70 countries. So it's hard for Hong Kong parents to accept that in, in their schools in, in Dubai, for example, that they are receiving a fee reduction, and yet here they're not. Um, I, I feel that they're going to stand very firm on that, um, unfortunately. Mm. It, it does seem a bit unfair, doesn't it, that the parents shouldn't get a bit more because, as we know now, for several months, the parents certainly feel they've been doing all the school's work. <laughs> Well, from the school's point of view, they, they would say that they're not saving any any money. I mean, the budget is the budget, and um, that there aren't any savings for them. They're, they're still paying their teachers. And, and of course, let, let's be clear that none of this criticism is leveled at the teachers. I, I do feel that, in, in fact, the teachers get a little bit of um, a hard time. Um, but um, in, in some cases, in a lot of cases, the teachers are really working overtime um, on overdrive. But... Yet parents are unhappy. As I say, you can't please everyone all the time. The, the variety or, or the quality of the online provision varies. It varies a lot. So I think, you know, the, as a parent, whether or not you're calling to your, you're asking your school to reduce the fees is going to be directly correlated with your satisfaction level of the home learning provision. Yeah. And looking uh, in a broader perspective, the future for the private schools in Hong Kong and indeed overseas must be a bit shaky now, isn't it? Uh, There's so many parents losing their jobs or having cutbacks in salary. Are you anticipating a drop in recruitment? Well, you've got two types of private schools in Hong Kong. You have your international schools and then your, your other private schools. I think for the international schools, it has been challenging, especially for some of the newer ones. Um, 
there's a quota percentage that they need to recruit um, the majority of international students. And I think those schools are going to find it more and more challenging. Um, whereas the private schools, the, the demand for um, a private education with a more Western approach um, is a strong, strong demand from local families and, and mainland families. So, so they should be, I think they should be secure and should be okay. Um, it, look, it all remains to be seen. I mean, we, we, we just don't know, right? We, we can make some predictions, um, which we've been doing. Um, it's been challenging for the last few years, to be honest, with, with the influx of new schools over the last five, six years, supply already now is abundant. Um, so it's been challenging for them. It's sort of gone from famine to feast, hasn't it? Or You know, Glut. my position is that it never was a famine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have I have a sort of a different take on, on back in, um, I think, like 2010, um, in 2012, when um, Harrow was the first school to open, well, one of the first new British licensed schools, and then since then, obviously, a number of eight to ten new international schools that were given brownstone or greenfield sites by the government. I mean, personally, I, I feel that there never was that sort of supply. There was never going to be that kind of a deficit that was projected by, by some others. Um, but there you go. Here we are in, in 2020. Um, and it's challenging for some of these schools to recruit enough students. And don't don't forget the fee levels of these these newer schools. Or um, the fees have been creeping up and up and up and up. And um, it, it's become very difficult for a lot of families to be able to afford those kinds of fees. Um, so so ESF, for example, and some other schools who are keeping their fees at a much more moderate level are very very much um, desirable. Mm. And, and it's not just fees, is it? I mean, there seem to be expectations that once children are at international schools, they will do a lot of other things. There are expensive trips overseas, although one can't help wondering whether those will continue. All sorts of extra curricular activities, none of which come cheap. Correct. <laughs> children um, in, in private schools. Um, that, that's, that's very correct. And, and, it, and of course, as parents, you know, there, there's a fallacy that there's a lot of, um, you know, people think that very wealthy parents will send their children to private schools, and, and that just isn't the case. There's a lot of very, very average, middle-class um, parents that make a lot of sacrifices to be able to afford to send their children to these sorts of schools. So in times like this, it's, it's very understandable. Parents are getting pay cuts. Parents are being laid off. Um, the affordability is just becoming more and more of a challenge. And how about the lushest alternate option of all, uh, the overseas boarding school, one imagines just reserved for the elite. Are you still getting inquiries about those or is that dropping too? We don't, we don't place children overseas. We don't deal with that. Um, the, the UK boarding schools have announced huge discounts um, ranging from about 20% up to about 53%, including the boarding fees. So if you remove the boarding fees, you're still looking at 20, 20 to 30% off of tuition. I'm not, I mean, people have speculated that they're able to do that because of the UK government scheme to furlough staff and, and cover their, their salary. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. But again, it's hard for parents to, to, to accept that when, you know, if you've got one child there and one child here and, and you're getting a 40% discount, there and yet you're having you get nothing here um but it, i think it's it's interesting yeah I, I i don't 
I would like to ask the, the private schools to actually be a little bit more transparent and forthcoming with explaining how they are not able to give any discounts. It, it's interesting. I, I mean, I assume it's because their costs are the same. They're still paying the teachers. They're mm. still paying the rent. Right. Yeah. But they're not but, paying but, art materials. No. <laughs> <laughs> Saving or, on or paper. So, yeah, or so much electricity. M- M- Mervyn Chung, just, just before we wrap up, I mean, what, what, what do you think the government's attitude to this is going to be? Are they just going to let these, these schools sink or swim, or do you think that they will try and support them? Well, um, I think uh, some kind of um, some kind of reasonable support should be should be rendered by the government because um, we 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 do want a diverse um, some kind of a diversified system in 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 in, in the local education and uh, while we oh, oh, you know in, in these years uh, we we do see an increasing interest. Uh, especially among the uh, among the middle class families in in, in international um, schools and and the education and also the kind of extracurricular activities that they provide to 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 the children. Uh, so, is it possible for for the school management to enter into some kind of consultation with with the parental groups so that um, so that uh, you know uh, an, an acceptable compromise can be you know can, can be reached? Mm. Uh, in terms of whether it's uh, just a fee, uh, fee freeze or or fee reduction, and if uh, if the latter, you know, uh, you know in, in in what magnitude? Okay. Well, Mervyn Chan, thank you very much indeed for for joining us as, as ever, Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organisation, and Ruth Benny, thank you very much indeed for an education consultant and the founder of Top Schools. We're going to be talking about the controversy over filibustering and whether that amounts to uh, interference. The comments from uh, Beijing in the second part of the program uh, this morning with uh, Alvin Young from the Civic Party and Priscilla Lung as well. We hope, fingers crossed, will be uh, joining us. Uh, your thoughts uh, welcome. Drop us a line or give us a call two three three eight eight two six six. The weather fine. Temperatures up to 25 degrees today and the outlook mainly fine in the next couple of days. Humid with fog over the weekend. 21 degrees now. Humidity is at 65%. Polling booths have also been set up outside coronavirus treatment centres to allow patients to take part. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Back, back chat this Wednesday morning with Rachel Cartland and me, Hugh Chiverton. We were talking before nine about uh, education issues, about the DSE exams and about uh, private schools, uh, international schools uh, in Hong Kong. And uh, in the second part of the programme, we're going to be talking about the uh, controversy over those remarks by the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office and the Liaison Office about pan-democratic lawmakers uh, filibustering uh, in LegCo. Um, they say that uh, the lawmakers might have breached their oath of office and be guilty of misconduct conduct in public office. Uh, some of the pandems uh, say that uh, their comments amount to interference in Hong Kong uh, affairs. We're joined uh, now by Alvin Young, who's a, a lawmaker with the Civic Party. And uh, later we're going to be joined by uh, Priscilla Lung from Business and Professionals Alliance, also a legislator, also Associate Professor of Law at City University. Uh, as ever, our telephone number is 233-88266. Some comments just referring, first of all, to the first part of the programme. Craig on Lantau says on the sustainability of private schools. I'd like to see how the Hong Kong government would cope with a sudden legal obligation to provide schooling for around 25,000 plus students if those private school networks uh, were to uh, collapse. 
Matthew says, uh, love him, love or hate him. It's so good to see the Donald standing up and calling out the WHO and CCP for their extreme, seemingly corrupt mishandling of the Wuhan virus. This must be done, but it's impossible to imagine it actually being done by any other US president in history. With the IMF now stating the obvious that this virus is likely to be the catalyst for a Great Depression-level economic event, it seems inevitable that the US and others will soon be raising the prospect of reparations from the CCP for the economic development devastation it has caused. It's no wonder we're seeing signs of increasingly panicked, uh, erratic behaviour from Beijing, such as the escalating anti-Falun Gong-style campaign against RTHK and yesterday's direct interference in LegCo procedures. That comes uh, from Matthew. Uh, S says, I would like to, this is referring to an earlier email, I'd like to remind your listener, Maxine, that legislators are actually doing their work and they are scrutinising every bill thoroughly. It is not just a matter of passing bills and funding blindly. That is one way of combating kowtowing and corruption. If we listen carefully, the legislators have made their point and are working according to the basic law. That comes uh, from uh, S. Uh, thanks very much indeed for those comments. Backchat at rthk.hk is our email address. Mr Young, I'd like to ask you, if I may, what the uh, pandemic's basic game plan is. Uh, yesterday we heard Tanya Chan saying that she'd go on, the pandemics would go on fighting for the rights of Hong Kong people. But some Hong Kong people look at what's been going on for almost a year now and it just looks like stagnation. A lot of useful bills held up, no chairman of the House Committee. What are the pandems up to, basically? Oh, well, very good morning to you, Rachel and Hugh. And um, Tanya Chen, the convener of the Pandemocrats, make it very clear uh, we'll do everything we can. And uh, right now, I wish the listeners, uh, the audience, would understand one very simple fact. Legical is not really not functioning as accused by the Beijing officials. In fact, uh, we are going to have a financial committee, and uh, we have had passed uh, the stimulus plan for the first round, and there will be a second round coming up on Friday, and it will function as usual. Uh, it's just the House committee. <laughs> just the is, House committee? The House committee is, is a bit crucial, isn't it? Well, of course it is very crucial, but then we have to understand the function of the House Committee. That is like a gatekeeper to the Council. Of course, uh, right now, some bills um, cannot be passed at Council or cannot be discussed at Council because of the fact that it's going on at House Committee. But there are some very controversial bills uh, lining up. Uh, first and foremost, that is the National Anthem Bill that uh, the government wishes to pass. Um, we have to ask ourselves, uh, is there any problem? Are we embracing fully uh, to the National Anthem Bill? Because we understand with a, with a majority uh, from the pro-Beijing camp legislators, they can simply pass anything they wish. And this is probably the only chance that we could stop it. So is that, does that mean that your strategy is, because some bills are really bad, we're going to stop all bills? Well, unless and until the government can convince the general public that there are some very, very important bills that have to be passed. Otherwise, uh, of course, we have to make a choice. Uh, right now, the Democrats are trying we can, uh, everything we can uh, to, to do whatever we are doing uh, at the House Committee. And uh, the government cannot 
bring out anything other than the national anthem bill? Um, are they trying to convince the public that there are some other more important bills? We cannot hear any of those examples. What's happened, say, to the waste control bill, the maternity leave bill? Are, are they stuck as well? Uh, the former is now still a discussion. In fact, you should ask any pro-Beijing camp legislators what is their plan. They are the ones who are trying to filibuster at the bills committee level. So that's for the former. For the latter, in fact, they have already bypassed House Committee. They are having uh, uh, an alternative to the bills committee. Uh, they are having a, uh, a discussion at the panel level. Surely, so, surely then that's a danger that that strategy will be used for the National Anthem Bill as well. Uh, the rules and procedures make it very clear. Uh, the National Anthem Bill has already done the panel uh, level, and if the government wishes to resume second reading at council, the government has to consult the chairperson of the House Committee. And right now there's no such person yet. Okay, a uh, comment on our Facebook page is from Tom, who says the filibustering in Hong Kong is sad to watch. In the U.S., the openly hostile Democrats and Republicans in the U.S. Congress do regularly make compromises and cooperate to get new needed laws passed. It's sad the pandems in Hong Kong have something like a cultural revolution intensity in the righteousness of their beliefs and find themselves unable to compromise no matter the cost. Hong Kong has no military or foreign policy and the bills being discussed in LegCo are all local government issues about real estate taxation and hospital funding or things of that nature. Stopping this build is not magically going to give our tiny territory independence from the world's second superpower, 10 kilometres away from Admiralty. It's all an entitled boarding school student pipe dream of pandems like Claudia Mo. That comment uh, on our Facebook page uh, from Tom. Uh, we're also joined now by uh, Priscilla Lung from the Business and Professionals Alliance, a lawmaker. Ms Lung, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, uh, so uh, Alvin has to go in, in, in a few minutes' time, but, um, uh, you, you know, do you think that uh, he and his uh, party and his camp's attitude uh, does amount to uh, misconduct in public office, that they are not performing their duties as legislators? I think there are two perspectives, uh, both political and legal. Uh, first of all, politically, I have hope the view that uh, for a few months already, that our legislative council should not be conducted in such a crazy way. I think it's a waste of time. And also as the chair of the meeting uh, for the election exercise, uh, actually we have rules of procedure to guide us and instruct the chair that we should stop frivolous, repetitive, irrelevant and valueless comments so that the meeting can be conducted properly and reasonably. But you can see in the past few months, the uh, House Committee, because of this election exercise, is sort of paralyzed. And I think comments come from the relevant authorities in, uh, in, in the central government, which are in charge of Hong Kong affairs. Uh, they have the position to give their comments because they are the office to be in charge of the Hong Kong and Macau affairs. And this is also their duty to let Hong Kong people know how they look at the matter. Namely, I, I think that there should be a bottom line for one country, two system. 
And the legislative intent of the basic law is not to paralyze our legislative council. Okay, Al- Alvin. But to make sure our legislative council is to be conducted uh, reasonably and has normal operation. All right, Al- Alvin Young. Uh, is of course it's always interesting to listen to pro Beijing camp lawyers saying this, but what is the standard here? Um, does it mean when somebody from the legislature is not doing something that pleases Beijing, that is a violation to the basic law and the rules of procedures? No. In fact, uh, can you pinpoint any single violation from Dennis Kwok, who is chairing the election right now, uh, that he has bridges the, the rules of procedures? No. In fact, since day one, nobody can pinpoint Dennis Kwok has violated any single uh, rules of procedures. So... This is pure accusation. Uh, pr- I think. Yeah. Um, can, can, I, can you, can Priscilla Lung, can, can, can you pinpoint uh, where he's breached the rules of procedure? Yes, I think um, the rules of the procedure uh, have to uh, serve the function of the Legislative Council, namely, you know, in, Art- uh, in Section 41 of our rules of procedure has indicated very clearly the chairman or the person presiding a meeting should stop frivolous comments, repetitive comments, meaningless comments, also irrelevant matters in order to make sure the meeting to be conducted properly. But I surely, surely, of, um, surely what's happening now is a bigger, a bigger issue, okay? that there's a concern and, and that... And you can see the, the way that uh, Dennis is uh, conducting the meeting there's no limit of time for anyone to speak. And no matter how irrelevant the matter, how meaningless the question, uh, those legislators are allowed to continue to speak and speak. I, actually, two months ago, I already walked out of the meeting. I really don't <laughs> think we should waste time like that. But People surely there's, a, surely the there's a concern that People there's a bigger issue here. Not to waste and kill and paralyze the whole Hong Kong but and force people to only entertain their own requests politically. But, this is selfish, this is stupid. But, and but this if... is also ruining one country, two system. you know? And you can't just do what you think to be correct in the, in the level you see. We have to look at the matter from one country, two system, and also Hong Kong is not independent. So the whole basic law also provides a number of provisions which the central authority can have their say if Hong Kong goes very, very uh, uh, unreasonably being paralyzed or collapsed. Okay, Al- Alvin so Young, Al- Al- Alvin Young do you want to respond to Alvin Young or have you got to go? You, you know, I yeah. just don't understand where Priscilla is leading us to um, because when I tried to ask her to pinpoint one single violation of Dennis Kwok, uh, she said, particular one, but then she said, I walked out from it. Well, why did you not pinpoint it at the meeting? Why are you allowing Beijing to do your job, Priscilla? Well, anyway, uh, uh, Rachel and you, I have to go, but uh, thank you so much. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, so, if we could ask you now, Priscilla Leung, uh, yeah. do you think that the pro-Beijing camp in Hong Kong has a, a duty to reflect more accurately the feelings of the people of Hong Kong to Beijing? Because, uh, d- do you believe... I think we have. Uh, I you... have tried my best also to reflect uh, the, the expectation of some of the uh, Hong Kong people, 
Now, I think Hong Kong community is very split now, and we address the reality. But I, I don't know whether you realize, I personally have already moved a motion to set up an investigative committee under the power of privilege uh, of PMP, we call it, to, to conduct an investigation independently by the Legislative Council, which we have done before for Lehman Brothers scandal, for SARS scandal in 2003. But, you know, because the House Committee is not paralyzed, the committee has no chance to be set up. I'm also very set up why, when the pandemic said they would like to have an investigation, and if the government refused to conduct the investigation as they want, in fact, the other alternative is by legislative council. In the past history, when the government refused to set up a COI, Committee of Investigation, the legislative council can always play the role, and we can have summon power. And my motion, in fact, has the chance to get passed. But now, because the House Committee is being paralyzed, I think they are very self-contradictory, whether they really want to investigate the event. But do you have but a chance... Terms- do you have a chance to uh, put out a hand to the pandems? Is there any possibility of working together with them on, as you say, these very um, reasonable requests to um, get better investigation to what went on yes. last year? Yes. PMP is a, 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 a 10 years ago, I, uh, I proposed Lehman Brothers to be uh, investigated and we set up a PMP. And it is very common that legislative council can play the role when the government is too, either uh, they are very incapable or they insist they don't want to set up the committee. We always come across this kind of situation before. You so need- we can have the alternative. Legislative Council can do something. You, you and need- I don't think this is the time to waste time. And I do call for the, um, sen- uh, a, sensible, a sensible way to a liaise or to talk with each other. I did propose, I did talk with some of the representatives of the pandemic. I said, at least leaving us four months for the investigation. At least we can do something. We would cover more perspective, but we are willing to investigate the event, they say, uh, July 21st, August 31st. They also want to investigate whether there is other kind of funding. It's fair, right? We need to address the concern of uh, both camps of supporters and people who are really concerned about what happened last year. You know, and in, I think at one the... point people need to learn how to compromise and not to go on with this kind of, I would call, stupid and unwise tactic. I think we'd all all agree with that. But, you know, in the UK, government and opposition politicians can slang each other in the House of Commons, but get on well off-site, as it were, in the tea rooms and so on. Are you able to have that kind of relationship with pandems, or is that just not a possibility? Yeah, you you are asking a very right question. I think in the first four years when I served Legislative Council, we could do so. It's true. In the past six years, it's thought of the communication is very bad. I tried. I did talk with some of the moderate uh, persons, including some of their representatives, to talk about first the chance of set up PMP. And if I move it, you know, I can lobby the support of pro-establishment. And if they just take the chance and we can set it up. 
secondly, uh, even the um, riot committee, riot community panel set up by UK, that model, mm -hmm. I also have convinced the government to set up that committee. And in fact, there are two different channels at least to address the concern of the common people about uh, the movement last year. I think we do need to address that. I've been the Legislative Council long enough. I do think a committee of some kind should be set up to investigate. But I really think that to paralyze the House Committee, which indirectly blocked everything to happen in the Legislative Council, is not a way to save Hong Kong and rescue Hong Kong or to fight for democracy that they want. A comment on, a comment on our Facebook page. This is a comment from uh, TC who says, uh, don't blame the player, blame the game. Uh, mind you, this yeah. is a screwed up game. Dennis Kwok is simply playing with the niceties of the rules of procedures. That's uh, TC's take. Um, what what yeah. about the, the, the accusations that, uh, this, uh, that this amounts to uh, interference? Um, yeah. You know, the, 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 the basic law is, is uh, you know, largely about um, circumscribing the powers of, the, of, the, of Beijing in, in Hong Kong, and it has a whole article, you know, Article Twenty Two, uh, which says that uh, uh, departments of the of the central government should not interfere uh, with the ordinary uh, procedures, things that can be done by the government in, in in Hong Kong. And a lot of people will say this does amount to interference. I mean, the Beijing could have done this through intermediaries. There's all kinds of people and spokesmen and and other kinds of ways that it could make its views known. However, it's it's chosen to speak out very directly on this. issue issue. Um, isn't that clearly a case of interference? Um, I think people have uh, misunderstood the basic law. You can't just uh, look and uh, think Article 22 in, in, in your own understanding. You have to say if it is from Guangdong province, from taxation department, from Hangzhou province, yes, they could not uh, uh, interfere. But if it is from central uh, office in charge of Hong Kong and Macau affairs, they have the duty. Even CE has to give an account about what has happened to Hong Kong through this office so that the central government can have a thorough understanding of what happened to part of China, namely Hong Kong SAL. And when Hong Kong SAL is facing a danger of being collapsed, like uh, if it happened to a way they paralyzed legislative council. I think it has already gone beyond what we say within limits of autonomy. If you read uh, Article 18, Article 15A, Article 17, and Article 48, there are all kinds of indications that in, at the end, Ultimately, if Hong Kong is really facing some kind of crisis, the central authority both has the power and also has the duty to help solving the problem of Hong Kong. But if, right? but if we look... They cannot allow one country's two systems to collapse. But if, so if, it's, not, it's not like if they want to make a comment that Hong Kong Legislative Council is being paralyzed with interference. It is a very low-level way to understand the situation of one country, two system. You need to understand the basic law. But if we the look basic law allows <laughs> high degree of autonomy for Hong Kong, but not absolute 
autonomy. But if we look back to about a year ago, say, and all the events of last year, surely the blame for the near collapse of one country, two systems, Hong Kong and everything else, must rest with the government and the CE. Why is Beijing finger-pointing at LegCo? Uh, then you should ask the tennis court. If uh, we don't show this picture for four and five months of uh, paralyzing the House Committee, which indirectly even uh, uh, paralyzed the transition process of the Chief Justice of the Court of Final Appeal, because we could not set up a committee. If with no, if with no House Committee set up, we cannot even pass the motion to endorse the future Chief Justice that has been recommended by the Judicial Recommendation Committee. Okay, so, a couple of comments. Well, all right, a couple of comments from listeners. All these very important matters have collapsed. I think, it, of course, it drew the attention of central authorities. Okay, you can see last year they already, I think, refrained. Even Hong Kong faced such a riot. But you know, if legislative council cannot function, if budget will not be approved, once and once and once later on, okay. I think Hong Kong cannot operate, and we cannot allow Hong Kong. To collapse and no need. So when when the flood is coming of this danger and crisis for the normal operation of Hong Kong community, no, then I think China has to express their view, and it is good. I think we should look at it. We should learn to look at it from another angle. All right. All right. A couple of couple of comments from from listeners. Uh, S says Priscilla, stop covering up by mentioning the Commission of Inquiry. What about the national anthem legislation and Article Twenty Three? You have a secret agenda, but are trying to fool everyone as it's election year. Also, how unbiased is your so-called Commission of Inquiry report going to be? That's from S. And number two three three eight eight two six six. We've got a call on the line. Matthew. Matthew. Good morning. Uh, morning, Hugh. Uh, Priscilla, I think there are many people in Hong Kong, probably the majority and certainly myself, who believe that the root cause issue here is not the pan-democrats, but rather that pro-Beijing politicians like yourselves do not represent the views of Hong Kong people in the legislature, and especially those from functional constituencies, which I, which I think you're from. So... You know, do you think there's there's merit in that? And you know, would you why? And if you really believe that you're representing the will of the Hong Kong people, why not come forward and argue for the dissolution of the functional constituency uh, structure? And, she, she's from a geographical even, constituency, by the way. Not. Oh, not, sorry, yeah. but nevertheless, why not get rid of that and then uh, stand? Uh, have all the pro-Beijing influence coming from directly elected legislators rather than the functional constituency uh, bias that's there at the moment that ends up giving you the power in the legislature. If you believe in what you're saying, why not recommend adjusting the the structure uh, and standing behind We do need communication. If you uh, pay attention to what I have said in different times, of political reform. It's from 2005, before I became a legislator. There are three chances of political reform. I always express my view how to have gradual improvement of functional constituency. And I myself chose to be a directly elected legislator. That is also my mission. But when we are doing it, it should be gradual
show an orderly process, not to use your way to destroy Hong Kong. When you people don't have... Priscilla, I, I think most Hong Kong people, really the majority of Hong Kong people, believe it's you and the pro-Beijing legislators that are destroying Hong Kong, not the pro-democracy legislators. Do you want to hear my view? Well, I think if you, you want to hear you, my view, I let you, you know. Hear mine? Uh, we, we, you don't confuse the political reform request with the riot last year. Do you want to hear my view, view or do you want to send me back the to riot me? Hang on, Matthew, please let her combined answer. with violence, and that makes the situation very bad. You, you, if you want political reform, I also want political reform. And this is where, why I became a directly elected legislator. But the way you people fight for the democracy, in quotation, in your way, by using violence, by using firebomb, by instigating young people to breach the law, that is not the way. You would only ruin the direction of political reform and also destroy one country, two system, because you would never get the trust and confidence for the... Uh. Stakeholders. Uh, uh, and people, the whole point now is no confidence among each other. And you have endorsed a way that is completely against the rule of law. Uh, okay. Don't allow me to okay, yeah, Ms. Lung, all right, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Matthew. You cannot endorse violence. Okay, you on. cannot endorse the behavior that breached the law. That is the core value of Hong Kong people. Okay, Matthew. So yeah, this should address Priscilla, uh, this kind of concern of common are people. Are you against Hong the filibuster or you're for the filibuster? But I address Hong like Kong very now. We may have half and half people against each other. Uh, you see, people talk about Article 23, and now we got the news that 1.8 million people signing up to ask for legislation under Article 23. So they are also How Hong many of those people. are from Hong Kong, Priscilla? I, I can't hear you. How many of the people who signed that petition are Hong Kong people? Petition, 1.8 million. That is what I heard. I, I Hong have Kong, not Hong lost Kong people, are they, Priscilla? Yeah. But I, let me tell are you, I, I, people, I don't look at the statistics. I will talk with you about well, the constitutional duty. If you, don't look at if you want one country, two system, you can't avoid the duty to protect state security, right? Okay. You can't allow Hong Kong to become independent. I think and you're you funny. You're, you're complaining about the filibuster, but you're filibustering the, basic law the host, one you're filibustering the guests. Okay, well, we're out of we're out of time anyway. The, <laughs> the, the filibustering has has, uh, has taken up all the all the time. Priscilla Long, thank you very much indeed for joining us. One, one more one more comment uh, you might be interested in from Bowen, who says, "Dear Backchat, the exact wording of Article Twenty Two of the Basic Law, Section One, uh, is quote No department of the Central People's Government and no province, autonomous region, or municipality may interfere in the in the affairs which the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region administers on its." own in accordance with this law, unquote. So Priscilla's first argument about the criticism having come from the Hong Kong Macau Affairs Office is all right, is totally wrong, literally wrong. That comes from Bowen. Bowen, thank you very much indeed. Priscilla Lung, thank you very much indeed. Matthew, thank you very much indeed for your uh, bold efforts. Um,